So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2. I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, and we'll be starting in verse 17. Verse 17, it says this, But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this time that we have to worship you, God, to exalt your name, to come together as a community of believers and just really focus in on why we're here, God, and that's to glorify you. God, to, to build one another up, to love each other, to serve each other, um, all for your praise, all for your name's sake. And God, I'm thankful for the time that we have in your word. God, I just pray that you'd open our hearts to receive what your word says, to follow and live it out. God, I just thank you that um, we have this time, and God, I just pray that you bless it. God, it's nothing if it's coming from me, but if it's coming from your spirit to our hearts, then it's really powerful, and it'll transform our lives. So we trust you for that, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, my daughter Isla is 13 months old, and my wife and I, you know, usually I don't even try the bottle, but sometimes, on occasion, I'll try to feed her a bottle. And uh, when, when I'm feeding her, there's like at the beginning, it's always good. She's trying it. She's eating it. She's like, oh, this is awesome. All that, you know, she's all happy. And then pretty soon, it doesn't take long at all for her to be the one that wants to grab the bottle. Like, I want to be in charge. I'm going to start drinking this thing. So she always tries to get it from me. And I'm like, okay, I'll let you. But, you know, in my head, I'm thinking she's not going to know. So my daughter doesn't know how gravity works yet. <laughs> and every time she grabs the bottle, um, I'm holding it up like this, and then she begins to just lower it like that. And she can't get anything out, and then she gets upset. And I'm like, I love you, and I'm sorry, but I I'll try to step back in and grab it back from her. But then she gets mad at me, and she's like, I don't want you to mess with my bottle. <laughs> like, like she, you know, she gets upset either way, and then it's just like, I don't know what to do. Um, I told the first service, I was like, this is all a great analogy, other than the fact that the other night we had her aunt and uncle here, Pastor Ethan and his wife Audrey, watch uh, Isla uh, the other night, and uh, I guess he fed her a bottle and she went straight to sleep. So never mind, but <laughs> for the sake of the analogy, uh, I think that we're just like that in the sense that everybody likes to operate in the power of our own strength. I think that we as human beings, it's our natural inclination uh, to gravitate toward uh, doing things by our own power, by our own might, um, by our own ability. We, we like to rely on ourselves. We like to say, uh, we like to be able to have stock in all that we do so that we can boast whenever it's, it turns out for the good. Uh, we like to be able to, have, be able to take credit. You know, I think that's in our human nature. And I think, um, you know, when we talk about the gospel <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 2, a familiar passage where it says, uh, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. 
I think you guys would amen that, right? Be like, yeah, absolutely. It's God's grace. It's not our works. It's all him and the boasting all belongs to Jesus. I think we absolutely emphatically say as a church, yes. But I do think that when it comes to our Christian growth with our maturity and our walk with Jesus, we might want to have a little, a little of our own boasting in that. I think that naturally we might say, yes, Lord, I receive your grace for salvation, but now I'm going to take over. And now it's going to be me who's behind the steering wheel and driving the sh- calling the shots. And, and uh, whenever I, something good happens, then it's on me, right? I get to uh, brag about that. I get to have some bo- kind of boasting in that. Um, but I think here in Galatians, we're going to see that there's a powerful truth um, in Scripture. And, and it's actually a lot of places, but I'm, I'm going to hit it from a couple different uh, passages. But Paul wants to make clear that, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do to grow our faith. There's many things. You know, if I took a survey of the room and I said, what's the most essential ingredient to growth in Christ? I'd probably get a lot of answers of prayer, of being in the word, of worship, of being in community, right? And those are all really good things. But if I had to sum up the Christian life in one word, I'd I'd use the word substitution. In the same way that Jesus died in our place so that we could have life with him, he also wants to live his life through us. He doesn't just want to die in our place as our substitute. He wants to be our substitute in life, and I think we'll see that in this passage. Um, so I have a slide that we're going to pull up here about three types of uh, Judaizers. And Judaizers are these Jews who hold to the law, and they believe that that's how you have a relationship with God is through obedience or adherence to the law. Um, So the first type of Judaizers, and these are some people that are creeping into the church at Galatia, and Paul's writing to this church to defend against these things. But the first type of Judaizer, this was a list I found from somewhere else. I didn't make it up, but I thought it was really helpful. So uh, Judaizers who said Gentiles must become Jews and keep the law of Moses to be saved. So these are Jews outside the church who are trying to get into the church and say, guys, you can't just be going around like saying grace in, in the name of Jesus and people are saved by, by his goodness. You have to merit it. You have to earn it. They're like, no, you have to keep the law. And these guys are emphatic about it. And this, so this is one type of Judaizer. The second type are those who said Gentiles can be saved without becoming Jews, but must keep the law of Moses in addition to believing in Jesus. So this is ones that were kind of like, okay, I get that Jesus came into this world. I get that he died in our place and all of that. But I think it's super important that we also keep the law of Moses. Can, can it be grace and works? And if we look at Romans chapter 11, it says in verse 36 that if it's on the basis of works or grace, then it's no longer of works because otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Works and grace can't mix. They can't work together. So... That's not true either, but the third kind, I think, is uh, the type that we can sometimes identify with if we're not careful, and it says this, Judaizers who said both Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith alone, but must keep the law of Moses in order to be sanctified. So in Acts chapter 15, there was this council that met in Jerusalem, and uh, there was this argument that got heated with the apostles and Pharisees and all these different people, these Jews, had been holding on to the law for, 
for centuries, right? They, they have the Old Testament. They understand all these laws, and they've been keeping them for so long. But the gospel message was getting in the way of their religious adherence. So the apostles are meeting with these Jews with their, their concerns, and they deal with it. good way to deal with it is not, not run away from it, but they actually had some conflict resolution. And in Acts chapter 15, we see that. And uh, one of the things... You know, when, when they were talking about this, this uh, does the law need to be included? Is it just the grace of God and salvation? What is it? I think that there were some Jews there that were like, okay, we get your point. Like Peter's telling us that Cornelius and his house, these Gentiles got saved. Uh, and they're, they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. They don't uh, follow the law. So that, that must be true because it happened. And then Peter, or sorry, Paul and Barnabas are off doing ministry and seeing Gentiles come, come to know Christ. So it's like, well, if they don't follow the law either and they're coming to Christ, then there must be something to this grace thing. So, okay, we'll give you that. Salvation is not by the law and Jesus. It's just Jesus. But we got to fit the law in somewhere. So this third type here, they're like, okay, salvation is by grace through faith, but growing in Christ is by our works, by adherence to the law. That's how we mature in our faith. And I want to tell you guys this morning that I think that's a deadly thing in the Christian life is when we begin to lean on or depend on a set of rules instead of looking to Jesus himself. And we'll see that here more in the text as we get into it. Um, So there's these three types of uh, Judaizers. In Galatians, this whole book, we've actually dealt with all three types of these uh, Judaizers up to this point. In this text, is dealing with that third kind, and that's where we'll be spending our time. Um, but in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are both Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be, be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. This is such an important topic, such an important truth that we preserve the purity of the gospel of grace, the fact that it's all God, not me, and that in, in our walk with Christ, it doesn't switch to us being in, in this driver's seat. It still is a full life of dependence on the goodness and the character of our, Christ, or of our Savior, Jesus. It has to be lived out in faith. This Christian life, if we want to grow, if we want to be effective in his kingdom, we have to depend on Jesus in faith. And this is such an important topic that I think this is something that kind of puts it into perspective. The Apostle Paul also wrote this letter to the Corinthians. And in that letter, he deals with some really, uh, really messed up stuff, honestly, like 
um, a dude is with his mother-in-law in a relationship, and that's super messed up. So he has to deal with that. And then um, he's talking to them about the Lord's Supper, and um, people are coming in to take the Lord's Supper, and they're getting drunk off the wine, not letting everyone have some. They're just getting hammered and partying at the Lord's Supper. And then uh, he has to deal with their church services are completely out of hand. He has to spend a few chapters just trying to like reel them in, like, okay, let's have some order here. Like, this is chaos. Um, so he has all these problems he's dealing with this, in this letter, but... Paul actually uses, uses harsher language when dealing with the topic in Galatians of keeping the gospel and our growth in Christ pure than he does in that letter with all that chaos going on. And I think that speaks volumes of how important this is. So, <clears throat> Paul and Peter are both clear on the fact that you know, in this passage we just read, you know, Peter, he's like, basically, if you didn't catch it when I was reading it, Peter is uh, hanging out with some Gentiles and they're eating and uh, just having a good time. And then some Jews come up and he knows that they're still holding on to the law and he sees them and he's like, ah, oh, crap. And he's like, kind of like backpedaling. Like, I wasn't hanging out with them over there. Like, that was not like, it's not what he thought. It's not what he thought. Um, so he's being super hypocritical, right? Like, we know that before this point in Acts, we read of, of Peter having a revelation from heaven that it, he, uh, God said to Peter, he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And uh, that's why we get to enjoy bacon as a church. So, I know, just me. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it's not, uh, you know, anything more spiritual to abstain from certain foods because those things just pointed to what Christ is, had already fulfilled. So when Christ fulfilled it, it was like, okay, you don't need to keep the custom. Jesus is here. So Peter knew that, but he feared the people who were still insisting on these things. And so he withdrew and he stepped back and he was uh, acting hypocritically. But Paul saw, that, saw this as such an offense that he says like in, um, shoot, I can't remember what verse <laughs> But he says that it's, a, it's against the gospel, that what you're doing is actually against what the gospel truth is, because in the gospel, it's not about what we do as far as uh, keeping customs or keeping the law or any of that, but you're acting like it is with your actions by, by withdrawing from these people and making it look like that's important and all of that, then you're leading all these people astray who are looking up to you as an example. And Paul addressed Peter to his face in front of everybody. I'm sure that was pretty intense uh, to be there. Um, but this is so important. And I think that, um, you know, verse 17 is really interesting. Right as he finishes that story, Paul says something that I think is, uh, kind of, it sounds a little weird at first, but I'll explain it. But it says in verse 17, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ. And then we're found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. So essentially, he knows that what people are maybe thinking when he's talking about this grace thing, and he's talking about, you know, not adhering to the law, not like holding so tightly to the law, and it's probably freaking some people out, especially Jews that might be reading this, or, you know, he, he knows what they're thinking. So in verse 17, it's kind of that thought where he goes like, but Paul, isn't being justified by Christ and not the law just going to lead us into sinning? Like, their, their thought process was, okay, so that's great that it's salvation's through Christ, but 
if you're only looking to Christ and not still trying to adhere to the law, isn't that going to just breed a, a group of people who are just out there sinning and living crazy because they don't have a law to obey? That's their question, basically. In verse 18, he responds to that. He says, Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. And I think there's something really powerful right there. And it's that when Paul hears this accusation, when he knows what they might be thinking of like, okay, you got to have a law or you're going to be living rampantly. He's like, he's like, okay, let me flip that on you. Whenever I tried to obey the law, sin was encouraged in my life. Um, whenever I looked at the law, it just made me want to do the things it said not to do even more. And Paul had this struggle, and he understood that the law couldn't legislate righteousness. The law couldn't make you righteous by trying to obey it. It can't. But the Spirit of God can, and that's what we're going to get into today, is the life of Christ being our substitute. Um, so, in Romans chapter 7, uh, gives this illustration in the beginning. I won't read it. I think I have the verses, but essentially the um, the law. Uh, he he gives this illustration about the law about like as if it was a man and a woman who are married, and he says uh, you know that a woman who's married to a man is bound to her husband by law until unless he dies, but if he dies, then she's released from that law and, and is free to marry. And he says it's the same way. Um, we were bound to the law until Christ came. But with Christ, we, we've died to the law. We don't, we don't serve the same way that we used to so that we can live for another, so that we can live to another. This is the Christian life, guys. It's not about finding how we can just do better and just trying our hardest to do it. I think there's a lot of intentionality in the Christian life. We've talked about that the last few weeks. And I think one thing I really appreciate about this, this church, about our pastor, is that he can deal with subjects that are, that are heavy, that are things that we need to deal with in our lives, but he balances it with grace and truth so that we realize it's not about our, our mere effort, right, just trying to accomplish God's will, but he always challenges us in the truth of who you are in Christ and the grace that makes that possible. So I'm thankful for that. So there's my other plug that I said I might give. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> but I think that is what what the Bible teaches us. It's by grace through faith, and we don't do things by just white-knuckling it through life. Like, it's important that we understand this. Um, but here in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 2, it says, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. So that's the replacement. It's not just you're dead to sin, you're dead to the law in your position, you know, like when you're in Christ, you've been crucified with him, uh, not just in your sin, but also to the law, you're no longer under that. That's not where it ends, because then it'd be like, well, that's great. That's what I used to think I should do. What do I do now? But it says, so that I might live to God. That's what it is. <laughs> and in verse 20, I think that clarifies it even, even more. But before we get there, I want to point out some reasons, and maybe you'll find in this list um, some different things that you struggle with, because I think that it's an ongoing battle for me. But I'm going to read this to you. A, a man named Joseph Stowell made a list of 10 fatal flaws with the list approach taught by the Pharisees. You know, they have 613 laws, 
they got 365 negative ones, 248 positive. And they're like, you guys got to just try to keep all these. So this is the problem with that. He gives 10 things. Number one, new laws need to be invented continually for new situations. Number two, accountability to God is replaced by accountability to men. Number three, it reduces a person's ability to personally discern. Number four, it creates a judgmental spirit. You ever met somebody where you could just like see they thought they were better than you? Like especially like in a church context or something like that. And you can just tell that they're like, wow, I'm doing really well. I've tithed tithed for the last six months and all this. And then it's like you can just see them like looking down at you like I'm like I'm some super Christian, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's what happens when we try to obey the law is it just creates in us this pride and this arrogance that um, has no place in the Christian life. But uh, number five, the Pharisees conf- uh, confused personal preferences with divine law. They couldn't even keep that straight anymore. Number six, it produces inconsistencies. Number seven, it created a false standard of righteousness. Number eight, it became a burden to the Jews. Number nine, it was strictly external. And number 10, it was rejected by Christ. So what's the alternative to living this kind of life where we're bound to the law, where we're trying to fulfill all its requirements? What is the alternative? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, a really familiar verse, but I think it's powerful in its context as we've gotten to this place. It says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he talks about his position. He's like, I'm dead to my old self. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he says, the life that I now live in the flesh, right? Like when we got saved, we didn't just like float up to heaven, (laughs) right? We still live in this earthly body, and we have a life to live in a a stewardship that we should be, um, you know, living out for God. But he says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Um, I was thinking about this, and uh, to make this practical, it's like, okay, I've heard many messages on living by faith. Like, right, don't, don't walk by faith. Or sorry, walk by faith, not by sight. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but uh, walk by faith, not by sight. You're like, I've heard that like a thousand times, right? I've gone to church. I grew up in church. Whatever your case may be. How can I make this practical? What does it look like for the life of Christ to be our substitute, for his life to be manifested through our earthly bodies in this world? I think that a practical example I could give would be like, you know, not everybody, if I'm honest, not everybody in the span of my life has been super easy to love, right? Can, can anyone agree with that? Like there's sometimes some people are just a little more difficult to love. Uh, I think that the life of Christ being manifested through my life, what that looks like practically, is saying, God, I have a hard time loving that person. Would you show your love through me? Would you love the way that you, know, you, you are loved? That's who you are, and you're living inside of me. So God, would you just manifest that through my life? And I think an, an, another example that I could give to that would be when we're stressed out, when we're anxious, when we're going through trials and we're having a hard time, I think that peace seems like such an unattainable thing. And we read about it in the scripture, and I think sometimes it's just like, yeah, I'll have peace whenever things are better. But yeah, thanks for the, <laughs> for encouraging me to have peace. You know, you have that friend that just tells you, you're like, I'm going through this hard time. They're like, well, the Bible says to have peace. 
like, great, thanks. <laughs> Accomplished, no. But uh, I think that another practical way that we can live this thing out is seeing that, okay, I don't have peace right now, but God, your spirit lives in me, and the fruit of your spirit is peace. So God, would you give me the peace by your spirit that my flesh can't, can't attain? Would you do that through my life? So that's what it looks like to live with Christ as our substitute. I think that the hardest thing for an unbeliever to trust in is the substitutionary, big word, but that Jesus needed to be our substitute in death. The fact that Jesus had to die for me, you know, an unbeliever, our flesh kind of like pushes against that because we're like, well, I'm a good person. Like, you don't know how generous I've been. You don't know how kind I've been with my friends. You don't know like all the nice things that I've done in my life. You can't say that I need Jesus to die in my place. Like, that, that seems pretty harsh for the kind of life I've lived. It's been good. But here's the thing that God, and, uh, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if there's any darkness in our hearts at all, which would be every single one of us, right? Then, then we can't be in fellowship with God. And that's why we need Christ to bridge the gap between us and the Father so that we could be brought in relationship with God. And I think so. That is the most difficult thing for an unbeliever to trust in is the fact that Jesus had to die on their behalf. But I think that for us, I think a lot of us in this room would say, yeah, I know Christ. I've been following him for a while. I'd say that the hardest thing for us to trust in is the fact that Jesus needs to live his life as our substitute. Not just that he needed to die in our place, but that he needs to live his life through us. I think that a lot of us have this mindset. Jesus died for me. It's by grace through faith that I'm saved. But now it's up to me to make things go well in my life, to serve God, to honor God, to give myself. And a lot of you, I think, honestly, have an amazing intentions. And I think I've had amazing intentions in the past and been at a place where, like, even though I was serving, I was doing good things, it, it was coming from my flesh, and I was just, I was either one of two things will always happen. Let me just say this. One of two things will always happen whenever we're trying to operate out of our own strength. One will either uh, become prideful and conceited and think that we've arrived and look down at other people, have a judgmental spirit, or we'll realize that we haven't arrived and be crushed by it. Those are the only two outcomes of living by the flesh. But when we submit to God's spirit and look to Jesus in faith, say, God, I want your life to be manifested through my life, then God is glorified. We're humble. We're confident in what he's called us to do. And our lives are transformed by his goodness and by his power. And I think that's what the Christian life looks like. So, um, worship team, if, if you guys would come up here as I close out here. Um, you know, there's a lot of things. I've been talking about the law. I've been talking about the fact that, you know, in Romans, a lot of, uh, in chapter 7 specifically, talks about the fact that the law, you know, it can't bring us to God. It can't make us right with God. And at one point, I think that I personally was reading through that kind of thing. I was like, oh, okay, so I get it. I think the law is just bad, right? That's, that was my, that's how I understood it for a little while there. But I think that when you look deeper into Romans, in Romans chapter 7 specifically, there's a passage I'm going to read for us in a second. But I think that um, under the law, we can only operate in the flesh, and that's either you know through rebellion or through religion. It's nothing relational at all. Uh, but under grace, uh, we, wanted to, we want to depend on Christ. We want to obey Jesus. 
And under grace, we're operating in the power and the strength of Christ and walking by the Spirit. Um, you know, there's a couple things that I wanted to wait on to say until now from Romans chapter 7, and, and here's what it is. Romans chapter 7, verse 12 through 14, it says this, But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. So I was wrong. The law is good. Verse 13, But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. So, so the law really just shows us how sinful we are, but it doesn't give us a way to make it right. Verse 14 it says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all, I am all too human, a slave to sin. I remember reading this at one point, and when I was like 19, I, I had made a lot of bad decisions, and I just wasn't living for Jesus the way I should have been. And uh, I remember having an experience where God's Spirit, you know, just like wrapped me up and uh, showed me that I'm still loved by God. And if you guys have ever experienced that, it's an amazing thing when you know that even after the chaos of your decisions has taken place, God still loves you. And uh, I found myself, you know, excited to relive this thing out, to start making good choices, to get, start getting rid of things that were harmful to my life and, and being obedient to God. And, and I started doing those things. But I'll be honest, it didn't take long before that excitement was replaced by that law mentality. It wasn't long before I felt like nothing I was doing was good enough. It wasn't long before I started, I'm not even joking you when I say that I would stay up late confessing every sin I could think of, and then I'd start confessing that my confession wasn't good enough. I was broken because I felt like I wasn't fulfilling all that God had for me. And I wasn't in my flesh, but I didn't understand that I could just depend on Christ, look to Him, let Him be exalted in my life, and that God would carry me through. I didn't understand that, and it broke me. But here, when I looked at Romans chapter 7, and it said that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. What I didn't understand is that if the law is spiritual and I'm of the flesh, then my flesh can't carry it out. So every time I look to the law and I'm trying to obey it, even though it's good, I'm just running into a wall over and over because my flesh can't do what the Spirit alone can do. But when you were saved, when you put your faith in Jesus, you were made alive by the Spirit. You were quickened. You were born again. And God's Spirit abides in you. And now you have the chance, you have the opportunity to serve by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And what that looks like, it's walking by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to close with this last thought. I know I probably said I was closing like a minute ago, but anyway. Galatians chapter 3, uh, right after this passage we've been in, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear as clear to you as is if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of 
course not. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian life in the Spirit, why are you now trying to be, become perfect by your own human effort? If I'm honest, I would have to guess that a lot of us in the room at least battle consistently, if not even, maybe don't even recognize the battle that we're trying to do things in our flesh that only God's Spirit can do through us. I think it's intentional that in Galatians chapter 5, when it contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, that one is the works of the flesh and the other one's the fruit of the Spirit because one's that we, one, one is something that we produce and the other is something that God produces through us because it's fruit, because it's God doing the work and that's just manifesting in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 15 that if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what the Christian life is. It's, it's not try better today, try better tomorrow, make more lists, do all this. It's no, rest in Christ. Christ died for you and he'll be your substitute in life too if you look to him in faith. So I wanna, I wanna have two things that we can come up here for prayer about or that you pray in your seat or that you talk to someone about, whatever that looks like for you. I just want you to be obedient to that. I don't need a huge altar call or anything like that, but if you guys feel led, I would love for you to come up and uh, have prayer for it. But one of two things, I think the first is that maybe some of us in the room have heard the gospel. You've believed the message, uh, but maybe you didn't quite understand that it, it was just grace that saved you. Maybe you felt like you needed to put some part in that. Maybe you misunderstood it. And sometimes, I, I think some of us in the room might have not might not have a right understanding of what it is to be saved. Maybe it was like, well, I... I I prayed that prayer, or I was baptized, or I, I joined a church, I served all this amount. If your answer to why, why you're going to heaven one day has to do with what you've done, then you might not know the true gospel, and that's that Jesus did everything for you. Um, so I, I would ask that you pray through that or, or seek prayer through that. Um, and then the second thing, which I think will hit a lot more of us, is that maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a month, a year, 10 years, I don't know, uh, maybe a lot longer. But at some point, if you've traded out true spiritual growth by looking to Jesus and growing your affection for him and seeing him transform your life for a set of rules or a, a mindset of, I can do this in my own strength, then I would just ask that you come forward and either confess that or find prayer for that or be intentional to get rid of that because we need to look to Jesus, not our own flesh. So that's all I have for us. We'll worship now.